Hey everyone and welcome back to the It's Good To Talk podcast. Uh, so today, um, a little bit of a treat because we've actually got um, someone that works more professionally in the field than um, people we have on generally. Um, sorry to the guests I've had on before. Um, but we have, uh, we today have uh, Samantha uh, Walkden. I hope I have said that name right, I'm not entirely sure, um, who is a lecturer in forensic psychology at Leeds Trinity University uh, here in the UK, and also a practitioner in mental health as well. Um, uh, she's done quite a bit of different work, actually working up to getting her full PhD at the moment um, in offending behaviour around uh, mental health and our perceptions around that from society and the police and everything like that. So we're just going to have a chat about that today and kind of get a more nuanced look into some of these terms that potentially we don't always have on here. So uh, as we used to do on here, but we haven't done for a while, what I will say is that anything that Samantha says today are her own words. They do not reflect that of the university or any official bodies that she has. That is theoretically the same for me as well. I do not reflect any of the official bodies that I'm a member of, um, but yeah. So how are you, Samantha? I'm good, thank you very much. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to have a a chat about my research it's always a good opportunity to share with people what I'm doing and uh, get the word out there about reducing mental health stigma especially towards offending yeah yeah so I mean the two obvious first questions so we go with the, the one that people probably know least um, as I said that you're, you're a lecturer in forensic psychology so what does that actually mean because I know people when people hear forensics they'll think CSI when people think think psychology they'll think Dr Phil so what is forensic <laughs> psychology so forensic psychology is kind of a subdivision of psychology and it involves the application of psychological theories. So that can be the core theories of psychology, including social, developmental, biological, all those theories of psychology, but applied to an offending population or a legal perspective. Um, anything that falls under the field of forensic is to do with the criminal process. So forensic psychology is the application of knowledge around human behavior that relates to offending or anything to do with um, the court processes the criminal justice system okay so it's if we try and make it into the kind of the simpler understanding of it if we think in terms of media because I'm sure we're definitely going to get on the media when we look at the perceptions um your job would kind of be the one that you'd expect to see on on law and order when they get a an expert in court to kind of explain a link for someone Is that yeah so that's that's a good analogy really I think just to clarify for anyone listening, a lot of people say to me, like, um, the, the stereotypical one that I put on Twitter sometimes is people say, oh, you're a friend, you know, you do forensic psychology. I like criminal minds. And I'm like, that's <laughs> not the same thing at all. I mean, if any viewers are in the US, our systems are different. So some things that I talk about today, especially the idea of offender profiling, which is more of a, a scientific discipline in the US than it is over here. We don't have the offender profile kind of roles or anything like that that, that you see on TV um, in that sense but in terms of like you said law and order when they get an expert to come into court to give their opinion on a particular subject that they will have researched um, very in depth whether that's histories of sexual offending likelihood of recidivism which is rates of re-offending um, you will get an expert to kind of sit in court and give their opinion based on what they know not on based on the that particular person but based on what they know about the field um, and present that information. So yeah, you're quite right. Um, in the terms of expert witnesses, as we call them, um, that could be something that a forensic psychologist would do or somebody who's researched an area um, very in depth. Yeah, 
And the, the thing in the UK as well is that it's, it's an, an additional qualification and everything as well to actually be a, uh, an expert, which I don't think yeah. it is in the, in the US. So it's, it's a very protected um, thing over here. Um, and the other thing, uh, you know, it's, it's like I'm starting off an undergraduate level, um, level four essay here, but just to, to kind of give an idea of what these things are before we then talk about them, but also offending behavior. Now, I think most people can kind of guess, but in your field, what do you kind of classify when you're writing um when you're writing your phd when you're doing the research when you're teaching it what is it that you kind of classify as offending behavior so um yeah that's that's a very um broad question it, like you say it sounds simple but it's actually not yeah um so in terms of offending behavior it doesn't have to be that the individual has committed an offense for us to study that in forensic psychology it could be what are the criminological factors so what are going to what is going to contribute to that individual becoming a criminal or becoming an offender so like I said before the core psychology issues of someone's biology someone's mental illness which we'll obviously be coming on to today um, social aspects development so whether they've had adverse childhood experiences which we refer to as aces uh, trauma there's literally so many factors that could impact whether that person is going to go on to offend in the future. Um, so when I look at it in, in my research particularly, I'm looking at the mental illness side of it, but there's a lot of factors that could actually contribute to somebody getting a mental illness. So I'm looking at what contributes to them getting the mental illness and then what are the coexisting factors? So there'll be some overlap of factors that can contribute I say contribute instead of cause because we don't work on causation we work on contributions mm. um, and probability not possibility which I can define later but we look at the factors here that can cause or contribute contribute to mental illness and the factors that can contribute to offending there'll be a lot of overlap in the middle and we want to see where that overlap is and what we can really pick out to help reduce that and to help support people so that they don't go on to offend in the future or we can reduce their risk um, to the minimum amount possible and that's to support the individual utmost and then to protect the public as well um, and then obviously there's a side of money and funding that it's actually better to prevent it rather than wait for it to happen and put someone in jail um, yeah so lots of different things as you yes. can imagine yeah it's a bit i mean to put it in kind of um a perspective that um, for me, purely because I've been doing it for so long, for, for self-defense and martial arts, um, despite what people think and what people think the law is, it's far better to stop someone from attacking you and to take them to ground than it is to allow them to try and hit you first and then respond to that. Um, because then you're just in a back and forth continually, you know, and that's, I, I imagine the same with, with mental health is when you've allowed something to happen because you could kind of see the markers and everything was there and you've allowed it to happen. Now you're having to deal with the recidivism rather than the initial offense in the first place so you kind of get into a bit more um so i suppose with it is you you've been looking a lot at the um kind of the perception of society the media police i think specifically in one of your sections of your phd you talk about the police as well and their their kind of viewpoint so what is it that what kind of was there a, a starting point that you kind of thought, OK, this is definitely an issue? Was there kind of a, a big kind of um, move in society? Was there a move? I mean, for me, I have to say, because I have serious issues with um, media portrayal of, of mental health, whether um, in offending behavior or not. The biggest one for me being um, Rain Man, which 
I have ranted about enough times. In fact, I did an entire podcast of me just ranting, basically. There were two other guests, but I don't know when they came in. Um, so it's, you know, you have that. So was there a, a, a thing that you just went, well, this just shows that we are not dealing with this properly and that's why I need to research it? Or was it just an accumulation of things that were kind of obvious from your course originally? Yeah, so I think for me, it was when I started working actually in forensic mental health services that that, I, I don't like to say it, but the, the kind of the spark, the click moment um, yeah. where you kind of know what you want to do. So obviously I'd done my undergraduate degree in forensic psychology and then I started working in low secure services for adult males um, in psychiatric care who had complex mental health needs and the majority of them um, were ex-offenders or had an offending history. And they're under a section 3741 or a 4749 of the Mental Health Act in psychiatric services. And I was I was noticing that when I was coming away from the job and I was telling, even when I told my mum that I'd, I'd got the position, not speaking badly of my mum at all, but she was saying things like, oh, well, isn't that dangerous? Won't you get hurt? Why do you want to work with these people? I was having some people, most of my friends are very understanding and they, they know what I do and they know I'm passionate about it. But a couple of acquaintances were more like, oh, I couldn't work with sex offenders and I don't know how you can do that. And I got this idea of what, why are people saying this? Like, and it, it came down to the fact that they have no education around it, which is something we'll, we'll come on to later on, I'm sure. They have no education around it. They have no experience of it. They, have, they don't have that contact with people with severe mental illness. They have the contact with people with anxiety and depression, but it's absolutely not the same as having contact with somebody with schizoaffective disorders, schizophrenia, complex personality disorders. It's, it's not the same. So, and then it would come on to the, the media portrayal, which is obviously the where people get their information from if they can't get access to it, if they're not taught it in schools, the media, that's, it's going to ultimately be the media. So I was thinking, why are people, you know, why are people acting like this? Where are these perceptions coming from? And obviously me just going around and asking a couple of people isn't going to be valid research. Yeah. Um, so when I started my master's degree, I looked a little bit further into criminal narratives and the way if an individual with mental illness who has an offending history, the way that they explain their crime to someone, does that impact the way that the, they are perceived? And then after I'd done that, I thought I really need to unpick these ideas towards individuals with a history of offending and mental illness. And you'll see that I, I try my best not to refer to these individuals as just offenders. I try to say that they have a history of offending behavior because when we label them as an offender, we're assigning them to one particular label rather than saying they're a person with a history of offending, which mm. is more of a positive person-centered approach. And I know there's different person-centered approaches around labels such as autism. That's a reclaim label now. And we say autism, not person with autism. But when we're talking about something that's, that is a negative label to say somebody is an offender, there is no benefit of saying that they are an offender. So the benefit is to say a person with an offense history. So it's always thinking about the, the way that we use labels and things like that. Um, so, yeah, again, I digressed a little bit on that point. But the, the original thought came from the fact that people were saying things and I wanted to know why people are saying things and what we can do for the stigma towards offending and the stigma towards mental illness. And like I said before, this crossover um, of the different factors to do with what the contributions were and what now the, the public stigma is towards them. So I wanted to look into particularly a person's experience with this group, like you said before, police was one um, aspect, but then I kind of changed my research, previous researchers were doing police, mm. and I changed mine to be psychiatric staff, 
Um, so if you have that experience, what are the pros and cons? Because there are pros, but there are also cons. There are negatives that can come out of having that experience, such as stigma by association mm. and things like that. So that's where it, it kind of started. And then it led on from there. And obviously I'm, I'm only quite a new researcher at the moment, defending my PhD next month. But I have a lot more ideas of where this is going to go. I'm, I'm only 27 at the minute, and I'm hoping that this will change a lot of legislation eventually. Um, that, that will be the goal. Yeah. Oh, gosh, makes makes me feel old there, I have to say. Um, <laughs> with you just being 27. It's like when I went back to university after um, to do my, uh, my later master's and realised that one of my lecturers for my master's had started in my undergrad in the same university a year after I had and I was like, oh, dear. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's a few things you mentioned there. I mean, one of them, the um, the association that you kind of put in with a lot of, a lot of it, it is a term that I've kind of heard, psychiatric staff. Um, and this is the way that I've always heard about it. Uh, my, my late wife was a, a nurse. Um, my um, ex-fiance was a nurse as well. Um, and whenever they both talked about it, because they both went to the same university to do nursing, Mental health nurses and mental health staff, the, the comment was always, well, you have to be a bit mad anyway. You have to be mad to do that job. They're, they're crazy doing that job. So that you do have that association that there's, and it's, it's very old language as well, literally saying it as mad, but that's kind of a true belief that you had to be off the wall or eccentric or something to actually even exist in that area. So did, with what you do, did it ever kind of... Um, because obviously you're doing the perceptions and what people look about it. Does, did you ever find anything that was putting people off of even getting into the work as well? I mean, obviously you have the perceptions of, of those that um, have uh, um, a history of offend, uh, offending, but also those that kind of trying to help them, like as you, yourself when you went into it. Did you find that there was a kind of a, a block there that actually we need to get rid of this block before we can do anything else with these uh, these people? Because everyone's going well we don't want to be one of those people and they're the ones that are actually helping mm -hmm. yeah so I think there's two parts to that the first part you know that that idea of you have to be a bit unsettled or mad or you know that historic kind of terminology there is that with with some stuff that I work with they say well you know you you've got to do it or else you 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 know you cry when you go home mm. so there's that idea of you have to come into it from that angle and I think that's what keeps people going some days that's you know they just kind of block it out and say well you know it is what it is but also I think it is important to accept when you have had enough of that job um, and it's not it's not kind of a failure or defeat to say that you've worked in a job for however long your personal emotional exhaustion is or you know burnout what it usually gets referred to if that is five years for you that's your timeline and you need to leave it that's completely fine. If it's a couple of months, that's fine. And if anyone is, you know, listening and thinking, oh, you know, I, I can't do this job anymore. It's not a failure to move on from the job. You're not letting anyone down. You would be letting yourself down to persevere and to just battle through and think, oh, I just got to carry on because it is what it is. Hmm. If you can't manage the job, that is absolutely fine. No, no one should think any less of you for moving on from a job like that. It is extremely exhausting. I've been doing it for seven years. And I know what my own personal capacity is. And that's really important for anybody who wants to get into this job, who's listening, to know what your personal kind of the, the level is before you can't deal with it anymore. Um, so I will say that. And then in terms of stigma by association, what I mean more by that definition and the definition that I use of it in the thesis 
is the idea that if you work with individuals who've committed sexual offences, what are commonly referred to as sex offenders, um, I'm using abbreviated brackets if anyone's listening on the podcast and can't see me doing that. Um, if you are working with those individuals, you're seen as a, I don't, I don't want to say a bad person, but like a less favourable person, because mm. how could you possibly work with someone who's committed a rape or assaulted a child or whatever? How could you do that? You must be, you know, you must like them. I don't, well, I don't dislike service users that I work with, but they're not my friends. Mm. I'm friendly with them because it's my job. It is not my job to judge the service users. They've already been judged and they've come through the criminal justice system and they've come to psychiatric services. It's not my job to re-diagnose them. That's the job of the psychiatrist and the psychologist on, on the ward. I'm a mental health care assistant in that job. It's not my job to be dictating what their future treatment would be. It is my job to follow the treatment plan and support that individual, however, has been dictated by the professionals. And that's what it's about. I'm not there to say, well, they are a child sex offender, so I'm going to treat them differently to the person who's, I don't know, mildly assaulted a stranger outside. Mm. It's There's not a hierarchy. Well, there shouldn't be a hierarchy of needs for, for what, as kind of support those people need to access they all deserve the same level of care and if you're in a job thinking that you're the one who's going to dictate who gets more care than others and someone's worth more then you shouldn't be in that job really um quite savage to say but that's not your job your job is to look after these people and try and reduce their risk and rehabilitate them in society so the first step of my research and i can share the link um to the first publication of my thesis we'll put it down below <laughs> excellent um, which developed the scale to measure public perceptions the idea is that this scale will be used in the recruitment of individuals who want to work um with people who have a history of offending and mental illness so we can assess the stigma that the people have to, towards the clients that they're working with because if they've got a really high level of stigma you're not going to be able to provide them with the best care because your stigma is is holding you back so to constantly challenge yourself and face the exhaustion of the job there is a lot of extra things to be dealing with so I commend anyone who works in this setting whether it's for a month whether it's for 15 years if you do your part and you can just see that from the inside a little bit more it will really change your life experiences and your perspectives. I'm not suggesting that everybody go and do it because it's not for everyone. Um, but if you are thinking about that, just maybe rewind a couple of minutes and listen to what I said again, and just think about um, your own levels of, of emotional output, what you can give to somebody um, before it gets too much for you. Because the last thing you want is, is you having mental health issues as a result of your job. Um, it's not something that I would advise. No, I think that that is important. I think... Uh, and it's a problem that we have, and it's actually a problem um, that I see a lot um, when I'm on, on Twitch and doing uh, mental health stuff there, is that we have this idea of comparing ourselves to somebody else. So if somebody else can do it, then I can do it. It's like, now I know why that that exists, because it's that that dream of I can always do what somebody else can. It's, you know, it's anything you can do, I can do better type attitude. But the problem is, is that we can't all do that. You know, not everyone can, can do what I do in, in self-defense, because... I need to be an arsehole most of the time, you know, because people attacking you are arseholes. So I need to show you that attitude. Um, and, and 
you know, a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people can't do the psychiatric work stuff. A lot of people can't do retail work. You know, it's they all have really shitty parts to them. And like you say, it's really important to kind of go, look, can, can I actually do this? Um, and if it's something you think you want to try and just see, then great. Amazing that you've you've been able to try it. But um, as you said, Samantha, it's it's important that people don't see it as a failure if they then go, okay, I can't do this anymore. This is actually draining me. Um, it's a, it's a, 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 a thing I use a lot, which is the idea of um, turning your light on first, which is um, making sure that you're okay before anything else, because you're of no use to anybody, especially yourself, if all you're doing is making sure that somebody else's light is on and you're just continually walking around in the dark and falling over. You've got yeah, to make sure that you're really okay. Example, and I like to say as well, if you've got, if you've got a cup, and your cup, so we, we all have the same size cup, we all have the, you know, the same abilities, things like that. If you've got a cup, my cup's made of glass, your cup's made of paper, yours is going to run out first because yours is made of paper. Yeah. If you're then punching holes in the paper and then trying to put a plaster over it or letting it leak out, your cup's definitely going to, you know, go first. But if I drop my cup and I just kind of, I just say, it's fine, it's fine, it's glass, it's glass, it's glass. And yeah. then I drop it and it smashes it's gone. So just think about it. Just think about if you really want to go into this job, because there's no kind of judgment. Well, there shouldn't be any judgment of people that you work with. You should know what your own capacity is. Um, and like Adam said, it's not it's not a competition of I'm going to you know train and, and be at the same level that I'm at. You shouldn't inspire, inspire, aspire to be the same as anybody else. It's nice to take inspiration. So see what Adam's doing and saying, I'd like to do a podcast or see what I'm doing and say, I'd like to do a psychology degree. Doesn't mean that you want to be me or Adam. It just means you're inspired by other people to maybe look at different options in your life, but don't try and be like either of us. Just take inspiration and think about what you personally could be able to achieve. Yeah, exactly. It might mean it might mean that somebody goes and does a, a forensics uh, forensic psychology degree. It might mean that someone goes and does a martial arts class or picks up a a, um, a microphone or, or goes and works in the mental health field. But it's it's finding your own path through, and that that's that's a really important thing. Um, I was going to say as well is that with the um, offending and the perceptions that you talked about, um, have you found that there's been because obviously people have some perception you said about your acquaintances um your mother and everyone like that kind of going oh you know how can you be around them you know are you safe there and things like that have you found there's been a massive difference between um actually i don't know how to word it but people who don't have a history of mental health issues that have an offending background um the perception of them and then the perception of those that have a mental health uh, um, issue background and an offending background and has it been that people have gone, oh, yeah, but, you know, they're an, a horrible person and they're mental. That, that kind of, you know, the assumption that now they're the, they're the kind of a shadow that's creeping in the doorway now because they have a mental health issue. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny you should say that because that's the second and third study of, of my thesis. <laughs> um, pretty much. Uh, so hopefully that'll, that'll get published in a, a year or two's uh, time. But, yeah, so a couple of things on that one. The first one being um, whether they've, whether the person themselves has personally experienced a mental health issue, their perception towards other people. So I'll just talk about that one for a second. So I asked people if they have personally experienced um, mental illness, if they have ever worked with someone um, or with clients who have mental illness, or if they don't have any experience, um, there's different factors, but don't have any experience in the field. The people who had 
the personal experience, but it was more depression and anxiety. Um, didn't it didn't make too much of a difference. It did make a little bit of a difference to their perceptions, but it wasn't a massive amount because, like I said before, the experience of anxiety and depression is a lot different to the more what we refer to as severe mm -hmm. illnesses, such as um, schizophrenia and bipolar and the like. So that's a lot different. And we don't usually get clients in psychiatric services who will just have a history of depression, anxiety and have committed offences. It's usually a lot more complex than that. Mm. So there was a little bit of a difference. But people who work in the field were a lot more likely to report um, positive things about individuals they read um, who had a history of mental illness, regardless of whether they had an offending past, because they understand, like I said before, the factors that contribute a lot more. Um, the second part of that, so whether the person had a mental illness and offended or just a mental illness. So I used a lot of different controls. Um, I looked at whether the person had committed a violent crime versus a non-violent crime. And this was like a written kind of story that the participants would read. And then I would ask them questions about it. That's how I work. It's called using vignettes. Mm. So whether the person had committed a violent offense, a non-violent offense or no offense, and then whether they had um, no mental illness, a severe mental illness such as schizophrenia or a common mental disorder such as depression. So there's a lot of different kind of circumstances yeah. in that. I found that there was a significant difference between the person with depression and the person with schizophrenia and the person with no offence. And that's something, well, it's to do with confirmation bias. Yeah. So we seek out information that fits our agenda from the media, like we said before, if the media tells you that people with schizophrenia are dangerous, they're more likely to kill someone, they're the kind of crazy people that are depicted in films, all this kind of thing. When you read a statement that supports that, you say, must be true. Um, and then you're more likely to endorse those negative biases and stereotypes towards someone. Um, in regards to what type of offence it was, there was more endorsement and more agreement with the fact that the person with schizophrenia who committed the violent offence was more realistic um, than the one who'd committed the non-violent offence because they said, oh, well, people with schizophrenia are violent, so it, it, that must be true. But the one who'd done non-violent offence, which was robbery, they were like, oh, it's, it's not his fault because that's not, that's not normal for schizophrenia to, to rob a bank. Um, but it's not normal for someone with schizophrenia to also go out and kill someone. It's, it's not usual. It does mm. happen and the media will explore that, but they're 10 times more likely if you have schizophrenia to actually try and harm yourself than you are to harm somebody else. Yeah. So it's just that stereotype really. And I do need to do a lot more research into it. Um, but just from doing those two studies, if you, if you do see that the confirmation of the type of mental illness confirming what you already thought about the illness, that does endorse more negative views. For the person with depression, um, it worked the other way. I think people were confused. They were like, oh, well, depressed people don't go out and assault people. So that must not be true. But people with schizophrenia don't, but you endorse that one. So that just kind of shows where those biases are coming in. And it needs to be explored a lot more to, to know why. My, my research is quantitative. So it's about like, what do people think? Mm. And then there needs to be an exploration into why do people think this? And it is from the media. It's pretty obvious conclusion, but I can't make that conclusion because it <laughs> needs to be evidence-based. Um, but it's pretty obvious that, that that would be where it came from. Um, so there is definitely a difference between the types of offence that someone commits. 
and it's something referred to as double stigma in the literature. So you've got the stigma towards um, severe mental illnesses and then the confirmation. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. Mm. So if I think you're dangerous and you show me you're dangerous, you're definitely dangerous and I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want my daughter working in that setting with you. I don't want da-da-da. And then it all kind of floods in and everything just builds up um, and the stigma just piles up. And obviously the more it piles up, the harder it is to get through. Um, the mental health stage and then the offending stage and then the media just confirming everything below um, on kind of a triangle platform if you will yeah I mean the thing is as well is with a lot of it you can almost be potentially pushed into it if you, you that's self-fulfilling prophecy if you're going to treat someone a certain way at some point they there's a there's a breaking point for for a lot of people you know even if you're quote unquote normal as people would think about it you know that at some point you're just gonna go i've had a fuck enough that's it i'm done fuck you um and but if you do that as somebody who's suffered from a mental health issue now you're you're dangerous and i think that's that that comes um it's definitely for the media but i mean it, it comes in general it's like um you know i i i've felt that because of just because of my size sometimes that if i'm um if i'm seemingly aggressive or if i shout because i'm broad six foot two martial arts guy oh he's been dangerous but of course then if you added on that i had schizophrenia or something like that then suddenly oh massively dangerous now i think a lot of that comes from complete complete and utter misunderstanding of mental health issues because i've yet to find any and you may find one, but I, I've yet to find any film, any TV show, anything that's ever shown me any mental health issue that's shown properly. Now, obviously, everyone's mental health, if you, uh, yeah, everyone's mental health issue, even within the specific area. So mine compared to somebody else that has similar but has different experiences is always different. So for somebody, it may be true. But what pisses me off the most is the ones that are lauded as being so amazing as the, you know, this is such a great thing in mental health. Look at this all done by um, those that have no fucking idea what they're talking about. You know, the obvious one for me is Rain Man, as I said before, the the levels of fucking no to that film. Um, The person that was based on um, later didn't even um, specifically state to have actually had an autistic, um, diagnosis could have actually had something else and i've forgotten the, t- the thing they had they also as- associated savantism with that um film which made everyone think that they called it high functioning and low functioning which doesn't exist as a fucking thing um it's not a scientific term definitely was wasn't back in the 80s and if anything if we associate the, the terms he would have been the lowest of functioning autistic rather than the high functioning autistic so it's that film set the stage for about 30 years worth of understanding in the ideas of autism um, and now ASD, um, although it's always interesting saying ASD because every single person I've met that has ASD says they have autism. No one likes the, ter- the term ASD. Um, yeah, I don't think people like that term. <laughs> I have a, a few friends who don't like it. And I always no. just say to them as well. So just pointing out on that one before we both start on our rants about yep. it. So, <laughs> um, I, have, I have literally a half a chapter dedicated to this. So I'm, I'm yep. ready on that one That's in a minute. Fine. Um, but yeah just in terms of like whenever I speak to someone and they tell me that they have a mental health issue I always say to them if you want to tell me um what you've got then you can don't feel like you need to because it is your right to disclose Mm. Uh, you don't owe me anything but if you do tell me it just helps me to obviously understand 
I won't say, what are you diagnosed with? I'll say, how does that condition affect you? Or how yeah. do you want to be defined by it? Or what do you want me to, do you want me to say it? Or do you not want me to kind of think about it? Yeah. Um, it's not that, okay, I've got a friend who's autistic and, and that's the end of the conversation. The friend will say, I have autism and um, I'm, I'm fine in social situations. It's more, um, I don't know, the, the functioning abilities are heightened and I get, I'm very focused and I forget to do other things because I'm so focused on one task. Mm. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, not the kind of generic model in, you know, abbreviated brackets again, yeah. of whatever the illness is. I'll always say, how does your condition or who you are how does it affect you and how can I support you? That's the most important question when you're talking to anybody who wants to tell, wants to disclose about mental health or mental illness. How does it affect you and what can I do for you? And that's it. I do have an issue with people who will label or use adjectives for conditions when they're not diagnosed with them. Mm. And it's not because I want to act as a gatekeeper. There are some people who are very gatekeeping in the field and, you know, you can't use things. If you want to say that you have traits of a certain condition, but you're undiagnosed, mm. that's fine. Who am I to tell you that you can't do that? Fair enough. Tell people that you feel like you have obsessive traits yeah. or tendencies. That's fine. But to just say, oh, my OCD is strong today when you've not actually been diagnosed with OCD <laughs> just diminishes other people who actually have the condition and find it really difficult to live with. To say that I, I feel like I've got some obsessive tendencies or I can't stop cleaning my house today that's fine but that's not what people with OCD do they don't get up every morning and clean their entire house and not able to leave right. that's not what people do so if you want to say that you have certain traits or you want to explain how you are feeling I am not telling you not to talk about your mental health please do that mm. just please don't use terminology as adjectives if you've not been diagnosed with it because that's where the confusion and the stigma come in yeah yeah. And I could see you nodding through that, so you probably want no, to... No, 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 I was well. just going to say, um, what's what's amusing about that is because um, we haven't spoken about it before, but I was diagnosed with obsessive-compulsive disorder at the age of nine. Um, and that is my biggest fucking bugbear of all of media because um, they completely ignore um, most of OCD. They talk about... The media talks about OCD as, you know, turning on and off a light switch. And I just want to punch through the television. It's like cleanliness, isn't it? That's like the main two things. Yeah. You yeah. clean all the time and you switch the light switches on and off. Yes. And that's all you do. There's yeah. no other and aspect to the condition. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really weird. When I, if, I have, if I work on office or anything like that and I have something that's untidy on my desk and people know that I have OCD, it'd be like, well, I'd expect it to be tidy. That's not how it fucking works. People ignore the fact that most of OCD is things like intrusive thoughts. And, you know, you... The reason you have an obsession now, I'm a little bit different. I got told by the when I was diagnosed, it's not quite the same for me in terms of my relationship between my obsession and what I think might happen. But for a lot of people, it is the case that the reason there may be something that they're doing. So let's let's use the bullshit of turning a light on and off again. You know, the reason that someone's doing that is because they think and they have seen in their head someone that they care about dying horrifically in a car crash. And it is not a case of, oh, well, I'm doing this as some kind of, um, you know, step on a crack, break your mother's back bullshit from when we were kids. It is that they have literally seen it. And as there is nothing on this earth you can tell them or persuade them otherwise that if they don't do that, that person will die horrifically in a car crash. That's it. There's no, I got, I had a, a discussion with a, a behavioralist and I have issue with behaviorism anyway, um, who basically said that um, because I talked about one of uh, the issues I had with OCD. And they said, yes, but what if I just put you in a cage and you couldn't do it? And my immediate response was, I'd kill myself. And they just went, 
you can't do that. I said, no, no, no. There's no rules of doing it or not because you're coming from it at a simple behavioral thing because all you're seeing is the behavior. That's all you're seeing. You're ignoring 90% of OCD. OCD isn't the, that, that. And the thing is, if I'm doing something, I'm also associating it with something. And the thing is, whenever you see on the worst way of talking about OCD is when people say, they don't tend to say, I have OCD. What I hear from most people on TV is I have an OCD. Oh, I'm so OCD just in general. I'm so OCD. Yeah, yeah. Like just, yeah. I actually heard it earlier on. I, I was listening to Niall Horan doing a, um, an interview with Dermot O'Leary. And the thing is, at no point were either of them trying to be disrespectful. There was no element of that. But because the education on mental health issues in general, even the ones that people think they understand, depression, anxiety, OCD, schizophrenia to a point, there's no fucking education at all. I mean, if we looked at schizophrenia, most people look at schizophrenia, for instance, and think um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which isn't schizophrenia. It's not, not in any way schizophrenia. Um, and we just see it so much from the media. And I think that's where a lot of it comes down to. As you say, you found that people go, oh, well, if you've got schizophrenia, or if you've got this and you've got this, oh, and you've done that, oh, that makes sense, you're just dangerous. And you're gonna go, well, how do you generally live that? Because in most people's minds then, you're associating getting a job in normal. Like you said, you, you deal with people before there's an actual offense uh, um, a lot of the time. So just for the, the sheer fact that you have schizophrenia or um, bipolar disorder, potentially, I, I would assume that some people's, that's an assumption, of course, but I would assume that some people think, oh, they're going to have manic episodes. Um, yeah, I think bipolar, schizophrenia, and then obviously the, the one that I'm going to come on to in a minute with yeah. the um, DID, so dissociative yeah. identity disorder, which commonly gets referred to as multiple or split personality disorder, which isn't a disorder. Um, yeah. It was removed from the DSM back in the 80s. Mm. Uh, DID so people think that they're all the same thing so yeah. they think that the dissociation schizophrenia even bipolar I'm like that's literally nothing like it <laughs> I don't even I don't understand where that one came from that's like uh, yeah people don't understand what bipolar is um, and yeah. you know being the depressive episodes and then obviously what used to get called manic episodes um, I have no idea how that's just suddenly coming to being the same thing as the other stuff what I think, um, I mean, the, the, the one that... That's the, films anyway, isn't it? That's oh, yeah, well, I was going to say, a film recently that I think really, really irritates because it, it's lauded over so much, and I think actually does, in the character, push all those into one person, is Joker. Yeah, I won't watch that. I won't watch it. I just but refuse. People keep asking me, and I'm like, I'm it's not awful. watching it because then I'll have to discuss it, and I just yeah. don't have the energy and to take on anymore. I've seen one person, one person, as a comic book reviewer, um, I saw one person who actually said, no, this is the issue. And it was so refreshing because obviously you had people going, uh, oh, yeah, this is this is good because this. Oh, and it does so much on mental health and things like that. And there was one person, one person who works. Um, I'll, I'll shout out Comic Storian, one of the people yeah. in the back of Comic Storian. Um, I really like Comic Storian. Actually, I was so glad that it was one of their employer employees that just went, whoa, whoa there's an issue here. And they pointed out the fact that you had all these conditions and almost more incessant than anything else was that they included the fact that he couldn't read and write. They had a little, they had a, a couple of things where he was unable to understand the writing and he couldn't write properly. And that just became part of his character. And you go, well, that's more incessant because you haven't suggested that's something outlandish. You've just mm -hmm. added that into his character and said that everything else is true. So now you have an association with those two things. And that was something that they actually brought up and went, this is, and they were the only person I'd seen that had an issue with the film because of the fact 
that it was the exact opposite of what everybody else was um, giving it plaudits for, which was amazed me because no film reviewers did that. No, um, I didn't see any things in the media about mental health professionals doing that. It was a fucking comic book review guy who works in the back who went, no, there's no, and I, I thought that was amazing to actually see that. And actually, because I, it, you know, apologies for language, but I thought I was going crazy by looking at this and going, the fuck no that's not <laughs> but actually it was good to actually see somebody else kind of validate the fact that no there's, there's the issue and i think that's where it becomes worse in the media it's when it, it is that incessant it's when they put a connection in that that they don't talk about and i, I think that's it's worse uh, and people never quite understand this but it's worse for me because then you've just it's just part of the character it's it's not something different you know if you said oh well they've all they also have this issue then you've separated it. But if you're just, it's just, they just can't do this or they're just crazy or they're just this, then that's just part of that character. That's just part of that disorder. That's just part of whatever it is. And that's where things like the Joker really come in. And I think Joker and Rain Man have the, both the same issue is that their popularity has made them the bigger issue. Yeah, because I agree with that. And I think it's also the fact that, you know, we're not idiots. We're aware that when people make films, they're not making them to give accurate depictions of mental health because then it would be boring. You know, like, oh, this person does a crime and they're going to be sectioned and the, the rest of the film is just going to be watching them daily activities in a psychiatric unit. Mm. Boring. No one's going to watch it. I fully appreciate that. But then don't make it so that you've got something that's completely outlandish, completely ridiculous. You know, um, I've seen clips of it, obviously. I've, I've not seen the whole film, but things that he does... And then you've got something like that that's really normal and humanises him. If you want to make a film that's about, it's about a made-up man that w walks around in a, a costume and, you know, obviously an arch villain and tries to kill this man who's dressed as a Batman. I don't like those films anyway. But if you've got something that's like that and it's so outlandish and it's so out there and it's so bizarre, and then you go, oh, it's a film about mental health. It's absolutely not. Don't try and make it something yeah. it's not. Saying that you're starting conversations about mental health I could understand from a point that you're trying to do that. And they say that, you know, no conversation is a bad conversation. But we've got to get to the point where most people who want to talk about mental health don't want to talk about schizophrenia and really complex issues like that. Yeah. They just want to say, I really don't feel right in myself, possibly, you know, thinking about suicide and things like that, becoming more of a, a thing that people want to talk about, which is brilliant. But then you're going to be faced with the idea of you saying something like that and they think you're completely unsettled and, and unhinged, if you want to use that term. So if you want to make a programme that's for entertainment purposes, please do it. But please don't then try and say that you've tried to make it accurate or you've put aspects of accuracy. And the one that I always talk about is um, A Beautiful Mind with mm. Russell Crowe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the example I use when I'm talking to students and we go through the sections of the mental health act and things and we talk about all that and I introduce them to it and then I show them the clip and I say what's accurate what's problematic and that's supposed to be a depiction of schizophrenia and I think this is what you was getting at before as well with the idea of Rain Man that everybody who has that condition is a genius like this is the issue people who have conditions like autism or have schizophrenia are really unwell and really need to to get support for the mm. condition whether that be medication in a lot of cases with schizophrenia um it's it's not as simple as saying oh they're a genius they must excel at everything if you're someone with schizophrenia and you just sit in the corner responding to voices that's not weird that's weird you're either mm. a, schizo a, a schizophrenic and abbreviated brackets because i don't like to use a labeling term 
but you're either someone who sits in the corner responding to noises and punching people and screaming and trying to kill themselves. You're that type of schizophrenic or you're the type that's fully functioning and is an expert and has all these like really big mathematic ideas on a board. There's only two types and and that's it. And that's just, you know, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Um, there are aspects of films that can you can pick out but if it takes that much energy to pick out good aspects, is it really worth it, like you said, to pick out one little aspect? Yes. Yeah. not worth the energy, is it, for the, the amount of bad that it's causing? Yeah, the, the thing, it's weird, because just to go slightly tangenty, but stay on. I mean, my whole podcast are tangents. Um, but the, the thing with the, the, the Joker specifically, that kind of idea that you use that to try and bring it in, is if you look at the comic books, you look at DC comic books and look at some of the people that have written on things like Batman and written the Joker. If you ever read some of those, they really deal with it fucking well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got, um, so Tony Stark as Iron Man, if you look, he's got um, a thing called Demon in a Bottle where it's him dealing with his alcoholism. It's, it's an actual story of alcoholism, probably because one of the writers suffered from alcoholism, I'm guessing, because it was written in, incredibly well. And I used to work for... Um, uh, uh, Kent counseling and addiction. So I, I, I have actually been around it. So I'm not just saying it because you know like, I, th- I think it's right. Like that's that's the thing is that you can actually see aspects where you're going to go that makes sense. I've I know people like that. I know I really hate the term, but it was the term that was used when I was when I was there. Service users that looked like that. Um, and so it's really good when you have it in the comic books. And then as you say, it's entertainment. They put it on film, and suddenly it's all singing or dancing. And I think that was the, the, the worst thing about Rain Man as well, is that Rain Man was meant to be real life. It's meant to be, especially same as Beautiful Mind. They were meant to be, this is what it is. You know, Dustin Hoffman went and, went and lived pretty much with the guy that they were trying to depict in Rain Man for a while. Um, he did it as, as, as method acting. And it was just, it's just ridiculous because then people associate it with that. Um, and I mean, when it comes to the, the offending behavior with it, do you find that it's just a complete just nightmare to try and explain to people that um, not everyone with the condition is going to be dangerous because you're saying about people have a depiction of someone's in the corner and you know you said about people that have offended and, and showing people this is this and this is this but then because of things such as um down syndrome for instance i use down syndrome for a very specific reason because of um the the change with the chromosome so there is a there is a physical appearance um that you can you can see because of chromosomal difference that people see it and then go um similar to basically old school craniology i think i've said that right where it's basically if you've got this bump on your head if you've got this and this do you find that actually those really outdated, really bullshit kind of science from yesteryear are actually still here because the media hasn't really changed that much and people see a difference. They go, oh, that person's got a tick or that person looks a certain way or that person's this. They must be like this. You know, you, you, you often find if um, someone is, you know, with with their, their care or somebody like that, that they'll be you could potentially say more more youthful in how they present themselves sometimes. And you you can often see, uh, anecdotal as it may be, but you can often see people move out of the, of the way and just kind of go, oh, I don't know if I want to... They, they, they don't seem the way that I want them to be. Therefore, 
we, we're going to move out the way. And do you find it's very difficult to try and show people that actually, no, it doesn't matter whether they have a condition, the offending behavior and that are not one in the same. They are not, you've got this, therefore you are an offender. Yeah, I mean, Down syndrome is obviously not a mental illness. No, it's. Um, I was just thinking but of. No, I know yeah. what you mean. You mean like, if you see something physically, yes. you can assess it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I guess we get that because the majority of service users um, will have a history of self harm as well. Mm. Um, so I guess you could use the example of self harm scars because that's the only kind of obvious, if you want to say, like marker of, of some sort of um, history of something yeah. like that. Um, so I guess in terms of that, it can be um, if people see someone with self-harm scars as one service user who I took out um, I take out quite a lot. Oh, obviously not now because of COVID, but used to take out quite a lot. Um, and he has quite a lot of self-harm scars on his forearms. So he wears long sleeve tops. But in the summer, he would literally rather sweat in like a hoodie rather than get his scars out because then it would be obvious mm. um, like the you know, and then people might look at him a different way and stuff like that. So in terms of the obvious aspects that service users have, you can definitely see a bit of a kind of social distance, not in the way that we've come to understand it, but yeah. social distance in terms of like the um, the need to be distant from people who are different. And it all comes down to the the not understanding what the differences are, I think is the issue to do with the mental health condition. So I've heard the term schizophrenia. I don't really know what it is, but I know, I know, they don't know, but I know it's violent yeah. or I know it's something else or they're probably hearing a voice or is that voice going to tell them to kill me? Very unlikely or else I wouldn't have took them out. Um, you know what I mean? We're not, we're not stupid when we work in services. The people we work with are assessed over months, years before they're allowed to go out and reintegrate into society. It's not like they come to us they're really unsettled one day threatening to kill us and we let them out the next day. We work very closely with them, like I said before, assessing their risk, looking at how that condition affects the person, not just the condition, but the person and how it affects them. We really look into that and delve into what we can do to help that person manage their triggers. Um, and we work with the service users as much as possible. They write diaries of like, if I have an intrusive thought, what will I do? And they have to plan everything out for them and then what they're faced with as soon as they, they get out of that door as soon as they see someone else doesn't matter what they've done doesn't matter what the work they've done doesn't matter all the efforts they're putting in to reduce their risk the public still don't like them because there's nothing being done to remove the public stigma so you can work with someone as much as possible but ultimately it's not going to matter and imagine that disappointment that you work on yourself so much to reduce your risk I'm not saying that people, obviously, if you commit a really heinous crime, you should you should definitely have to go through work and you should have to acknowledge and atone for what you've done. Mm. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I am saying that that isn't you forever. You should still be able to have a life. You should still be able to have basic human rights and be faced the reduced amount of stigma. So you can reduce someone's risk. But if you don't reduce the stigma, what's the point? Because you let them back out and they're treated like animals, they're treated like an offender that's what they're treated as so they think well what's the point then what is the point in me doing all this work if I'm just going to be treated the same whether I do it or not and then they'll offend again because they're being treated like shit to you know to be quite honest they're being treated like that they offend again and then the public go see I told you it was dangerous and you're like you I don't want to say this but you literally caused this not yeah. you 
that that person particularly yeah. but society is causing more recidivism there will be some people who go on to offend again no matter what we do they will but the majority of them if they have the work to manage their mental health condition they have the work to manage their offending behavior there is a lot of research suggesting the overwhelming majority will not offend again if they are supported but the underpinning of that support is the public understanding and the public aren't willing to give it so they say it's the mental health practitioner's responsibility it's community support responsibility it's the individual's responsibility not to go back to drugs or alcohol or adverse experiences so we have to do all of that but you're not willing to challenge your own stigma so what what are we going to do when the foundation of this is society and society is not willing to change um yeah i mean that's the main point it's it's kind of it shows in america especially because um the recidivism of um those that um offend so in general um those with offense backgrounds regardless of mental health issues um is far higher in the southern states the Mm. ones that they basically have it in built into them that they're bad fucking the more liberal states um, and I know that's become a bad word across the fucking world, but, you know, the more liberal states, um, California, New York, um, Minnesota, Wisconsin, surprisingly, the recidivism isn't that high. And they actually and there's there's, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, research into showing that actually they they can be more of a benefit to society. And, and actually the same in in mental health as well. From what I've read, there's an actually slightly higher um I don't know how they measure it, but there's a slightly higher work ethic. There's a, I'm presuming it's from employees that, that some kind of survey from those that have a, a mental health issue when they're supported in what they get back from that. Obviously, that's subjugated around capitalism and everything like that. So it's, it's debatable how you look at it. But there are benefits economically as well as anything else. So it's always really strange that society don't want to educate. I'm going to do something with it because you kind of go, look, even if you, you're looking at it from a purely business standpoint, a purely kind of old school standpoint. It does seem to show that there's a benefit anyway. But at the moment, like you say, we seem to think that everyone coming out of um, anything, it's like um, Jean Valjean, um, you know, it, it, Les Miserables, where, it, you know, I stole a loaf of bread, you're in prison for 19 years, and then fuck you, anything you do, you can't get paid for it, you can't do this. You've got to create your own little world, move across the world, and that, you know, now you're someone different. And yes, th- there may be um, different points of view, and I'm sure I have them that are harsher than yours of what certain offences may come back. However, not all offences are the same, but the same level of attitude against, especially those with a mental health issue, seem to be very, very high. That it seems to be kind of, yeah, but you're, you're specifically dangerous because this is what we believe of you. I mean, people... you in society when you look at say anxiety and depression you tend to get the response again anything i say just to reiterate guys most of the stuff i say is anecdotal unless i specifically state it um you look at anxiety and depression people just kind of go oh yeah but everyone's got a label nowadays and then you get a little bit higher and suddenly now it's real and now it's dangerous and as someone that that has a a, a, my license has run out but has a door license i've I've passed my level two in in door supervision and i got my license for door um thing you will often hear people literally train their staff to um, that the, the people with schizophrenia. I love the idea that what, how the fuck do you even know? Are you going to look at a card and know? But if you know that someone's schizophrenic, you avoid them. They are dangerous. That is literally 
in the minds of those that are meant to be protecting everyone under their care that they're the dangerous ones now there's there's so many fucking issues with that about how you even identify someone because you're not a you're a door supervisor you know we give door supervisions okay you still got to pass exams and everything like that but if you've got fucking half a brain and you're big you can get a door supervision license you know now you're apparently a, a trained um a, psychiatrist as well i mean it's it's ridiculous the way that we do it but of course that's the level of education that people have um and i think that's what a lot of this boils down to is how the fuck do we do anything about it because the education is reinstituted by um government and by politicians and politicians don't know what they're talking about you know th- there's a reason we have civil servants i know people don't like civil servants but the reason we have civil servants because civil servants tend to actually know what they're talking about they have done the, the research the degrees the things in those subjects um, you know, we, Boris Johnson doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's got a degree in, in um, classical civilizations. I'm sure I can have a nice chat with him about Antigone and the, uh, the Oedipus. I'm not too sure he knows uh, the f- fucking Mark One about schizophrenia. I mean, technically, if we are going to talk about Sophocles, there would be a lot of um, issues in there to do with... Uh, well, yeah, and Antigone as well, yes. <laughs> Possibly. Um, um, for anyone that doesn't know, that's just like the three Theban Greek plays. I did drama and theatre studies, so that came in handy. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, but yeah, you're quite right. Like, and, and that does bug me a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to speak badly of, of anybody um, who, who's trying to do movements in, in mental health and things like that. It's brilliant. But it did kind of, it was a bit weird for me to hear that Alex George, um, the doctor from Love Island, obviously he is a, a registered GP, is he is a doctor. Mm. Um, not to diminish his, his qualifications or anything, but because he has a platform for that, and obviously his brother unfortunately took his life, which is very upsetting, but he was appointed to um, mental health ambassador or, or something like mental that. Mental health and I'm like, youth ambassador, yeah. There are a lot of other people who are more qualified for that position who have been doing years of research in mental health in that sector who understand it a lot more. I just felt that was a bit weird that he would be the first person to be appointed to a position like that when he's actually a medical doctor um, who has some lived experience, but it just seems a bit bizarre. Um, Like you say, when people have certain qualifications and then they're getting kind of put into different brackets and it's a bit unclear who's supposed to be doing what. Um, Like I said, not speaking badly of the guy, I'm just just a bit confused um, why things like that happen when I know of a lot of other people who actually would be more qualified for that role um, or a team could have indeed be put together of different people from different backgrounds, people with lived experience, because service user voices are very important, um, and professionals as well. So that's a bit confusing. But like you say, it's it's about the education. And for me, where I think stigma reduction needs to start is with young people. I think that mental health education needs to be mandatory in schools from at least year six. Um, I wouldn't like to say that, you know, people really early in primary school um, are being taught very strict lessons about it because that that might detract from other things that are, you know, essential in verbal skills and things. Mm-hmm. But it should still be there as like a just as a chat, you know, like part of PSHRE or whatever they call it. These PSHEE. There you go. Um, whatever <laughs> they call it teaching. These, um, <laughs> um, just as part of those skills why not if we're going to talk about sex education and things like that why aren't we talking about mental health education because surely someone's mental health not not to kind of level them but is more important than learning about sex like learning about yourself and understanding yourself is more important in learning about how to to have sexual engagement with other people that just seems a bit bizarre to me um 
but definitely essential from high school period teaching people about what the differences are for different conditions how to just talk about it what the impact of labels are it could very easily be added one hour a week minimum you're not telling me that that's not possible so i think that sort of education needs to start in schools and then how to reduce adult stigma because obviously if you've got kids going home and going oh we learned about schizophrenia today and the mum goes oh yeah all the loons throw them in a loony bin they're in an asylum did it you know all these really weird terminology mm. the kid's gonna go like well i'm probably gonna be believe my mum more than one person i see once a week so it's not gonna work so just educating children isn't gonna work so for me on the back of my research i'm looking at education interventions possibly working on like group discussions where people get contact socially with service users who've committed offenses who have mental health issues and just getting people to see them as as humans rather than like we said before as an offender or as in a certain box just get them to engage with them in in certain platforms and just have make space for these conversations to happen um and that's kind of the the way forward that i see it hopefully going it's not going to happen overnight probably not going to happen in the next five years but i'd like to say that over the course of my career you know the next 40 years I'd like to see that some change will have at least happened in that period. Um, and I'm quite hopeful of that because there does seem to be a bit of a shift and people are more open to having conversations, especially to do with the offending side of it as well, yeah. um, which is good to see. And thanks for the platform today as well to to have more of a conversation about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is. I, I was going to um, quickly say about Alex George. The only thing I can assume, I always kind of assumed there was a team there, but he's kind of the figurehead. That, that was how I always kind of assumed it of like, People know what he looks like, whereas if mm. if we got, you know, Dr. Williamson from whatever university, people are going to go, who the fuck is that? I, I, I assumed that it was just because, we, you know, he's had pain and we know what he looks like and it might get people looking because the people that are less likely to necessarily engage are the people that probably engage with Love Island. So yeah. I, that, that was my assumption with him. But um, yeah, it's the education thing. You're absolutely right. I mean, I did some secondary school teaching um, at one point. And it is interesting because people just going, oh, yeah, well, that that's fine. But my mum says it's not this. That's great. Yeah. But your mum doesn't know. You really do want to go sometimes. Your mum doesn't fucking know anything. Um, <laughs> so like, it's because. What, what year did your mum get a PhD? And they're like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, when, when, because it's, it's, it's when they try to argue on politics. And uh, I remember having, because people, people assume that if they have watched YouTube, Basically, people will now think they've got a psychology degree because they've watched us talk. Yeah. Um, it, you know, you've watched it on YouTube or I've um, I've seen someone's opinion and you just kind of go, that's not, that's just not how it works. And I think the BBC are to blame on this one. And I'm, I don't have as much from the BBC in general. The one issue I have with them is that they are, they have to be non-biased, which is actually the biggest fucking problem because you kind of go, this is all these years of understanding, research, everything here. There's this bloke called Dave that doesn't agree with you. We're going to give him the same amount of time. I don't fucking care about Dave. You know, that's just no. And I think that becomes a, a big issue is that you have that. And I, I've literally had people go, um, come to me. And I've, um, for those that don't know, I had, I have a, an undergraduate degree in politics. I have a master's degree in political theory and practice of assistance. Um, and I also have various other um, uh, university qualifications. And I was an elected politician at one point. And I used to teach, um, politics and various points at university at university fucking hell at um at uh, gcse level and a level and i have done tutoring um as a member of the uh tutors association at university level 
and I still have had people at GCSE level because their mum has said something go yeah but I I think I think this and I think my mum knows as um, as much as you do because she's older it's like yeah, the age thing does come into it a lot, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I, the, I, I had the problem of having a baby face. I, you know, yeah. I, I don't necessarily look a decade older than you. I get I ID'd all the time. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. They're like, if you got ID, I'm like, I'm 27. You have to be 16 to get a lottery ticket. Behave. Yeah, no, I got ID'd. Uh, I, the funniest one for me is I got ID'd entering a bar once and the other guy on the other side of the door was laughing his ass off because he'd worked with me on the doors before. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, and that's the problem is that's the, the association. Don't look at the education. And I think that's where the, we need to get that as well, is that kind of going, look, these people can know something. This is this edu actual education, not just my mum said, my dad said, you know, Uncle Eric, which is always the, the thing of, you know, that's the answer to everything that's, that's true. Well, I have an Uncle Eric that it doesn't apply to fantastic but that's just one guy out of 70 million you know it just doesn't associate with that and people always think it's a certain way i get it the most actually weirdly in in my martial arts and self-defense i get people go yeah but i've watched mma good for you have you also trained for 30 years it's just um <laughs> it's not quite the same but the, the one thing i was gonna say i've just had a mini rant about about five different things all in one there and the, the one thing i find interesting and it's, it's coming to my head actually during this so i hadn't actually thought about it before but thinking of and uh, it is on the more understood or or low level mental health issues but they are an offender they are in the public eye they do have a mental health issue actually they have um bipolar so they are in the kind of the thing you think they're dangerous they're also big and they have a broke a kind of a constant broken nose how the hell did stephen fry not get tired of the same brush what is there something we could learn from someone like stephen fry who like i say he's got permanent broken nose because he broke it when he was younger so it's literally slanted it he looks like he's a big guy i mean he's six four um and he's broad-shouldered he, other than the fact that he he sounds educated, everything else should say, because if you describe that to someone, six foot four, broken nose, bipolar um, disorder, um, or I don't know if it's been updated from when he was originally done, former drug user, um, has been in prison at the age of 17. All of those things together should mean that, the, the, that everyone hates him and is scared of him, but he's one of the most revered, and, you know, he's up there with David Attenborough of being a national treasure. Is there, do you, can you see in, from your research or from just thinking about it, what has, what's pushed him? What is it? Is it the media have got behind him or, you know, what's kind of happened there? I'm not personally a fan of Stephen Fry. Right, so okay. difficult for me to, <laughs> to say on that perspective. Not from any of that. I just don't particularly like him. I find him a bit creepy. Um, and then I feel like some of the things he says are quite misogynistic. So I'm just not, a fan. I mean, I guess that's his approach because I think, I think he was diagnosed with autism as well. Um, yeah. I think which might that might be part of his approach, but still, you can still learn not to say things that are misogynistic if you have mm. autism. So um, yeah, I'm not a massive fan of him on that front, but it can be applied to other people as well. You know, Russell Brand. Not sure if he ever got diagnosed, but clearly has some issues as a result of substance misuse um, has also been arrested for certain things. There's lots of people that we can apply that to. The problem with trying to measure that, though, is that people don't see that bit. So if you are someone who's offended and has a mental health issue and the first time you come to light is because of that, that is what you are known for. Whereas if you are previously known for, like you say, 
presenting things, being a national treasure, working your way up in, in certain fields because you're a comedian, because it's quite funny. That's first what you're known for. And then when you get diagnosed with this other stuff where you have this other aspect, it's, oh, well, that's not really him because mm. he was, first of all, he was this and then he was this. Well, no, it just co-occurred, but you didn't know that bit initially. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's what people perceive you to be on the label front, which is why I was saying before about if you say offender, that's the first thing then. Whereas if you say somebody with an offense history, it's not as bad. I mean, it's still, it still does receive stigma, but it isn't as bad. Mm. Uh, I did the difference between labeling someone as an offender and then saying um, someone with an offense history and tried to measure the difference. But it's hard to measure that in the celeb field because you can't like try and ignore all this other stuff they've done and just focus on this. You can't do it. You, you can't take people at, at a value on just one specific thing. So why do people do it? You can't do it. So why do people do it? So that's just, it's just a bit confusing, isn't it? So I don't have an answer for that one. <laughs> uh, I usually do have answers, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just one of those things. And I think we do need to think about the way that, you know, like you said before about putting people up on pedestals with certain conditions or, oh, you know, what a shame. Well, no, I don't, I don't want shame. I don't want sympathy. I just want you to treat people like a person with respect and with a person-centered approach. So what do they need? What support do they need? If you were willing to give that support to Stephen Fry, for example, why aren't you willing to give it to somebody else who's not a celebrity? Mm. Um, and it's that kind of contradiction. There was always that going slightly off topic with the with the offense thing, but when Aunt McPartland was obviously um, having a substance misuse issue and then ended up crashing his car and nearly injuring those members of the public, if that would have been a story that wasn't about Aunt McPartland, and this person had gone off the rails, if you will, you know, that's a term they like to use, mm. had um, a massive binge on drinking, they'd had substance misuse issues, their relationship had broken down, and then they drove into this car of people and really injured them. The public could be getting their pitchforks out and going to the house and saying, you know, lock them up, burn them, shouldn't do that, shouldn't do this. But Aunt Matt Portland was given support, rightly, he should have been given support given support for that, allowed time away from the media, allowed time off his job, and then came back to his job and was allowed to restart that. Absolutely, and should have been given that, but so should the thousands of other people that this happens to every year. And that's the issue. Most people who aren't at my partner would have gone to jail, would have come back out and not been able to get a job. So it's the, the lack of consistency and the way that it's one rule for one and one rule for another and that's not the way it should go. Everybody should be given support, whether it's for offending, for the mental health issue, for substance misuse, because there's usually a crossover in at least yeah. two of those, if not all three. Yeah. So it's just inconsistent and it's just hypocritical. And like I said before, society really needs to start taking responsibility for, for what they're... I'm not saying they're doing it to these people because obviously people have choices, mm. but for the outcomes of that, after someone has made a choice, you need to be willing to accept that that person can be different than, than their past choices. Um, obviously, we need to be realistic and assess risk. If somebody is a major risk, that, that's a different issue. I'm not saying everybody can be rehabilitated, but everybody can be given the chance to be rehabilitated, which they're not being do they're not being given that chance at the minute. And that's the point. I just want to ask people to give them a chance. I'm not expecting you to forgive everyone. I'm not expecting everybody to to be able to turn their lives around. But if most people can, but they're not being given the chance society need to accept responsibility and change.
Yeah. I mean, it can be those little things as well, kind of, of, of if somebody snaps, if somebody shouts as a kind of a snap, that could be because of something going on in the background that is um, either, a, you know, it's a temporal kind of mental health issue, depression because of a, a traumatic event or something. And we always seem to respond to those things as reactionary rather than proactively. So yeah. we'll wait for that person to come to us and apologize for that outburst. We never go, is there something, you know, what can I do? What is there to help? We've got these things set up to help you. We never look for that. We always wait for the the person with the 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 issue or the, the offending behavior. They're the ones that have to apologize first. They're the ones that have to seek redemption without us having to actually enter into their lives and go, look, okay, how can we help you? And it's weird because if you look back onto kind of things like, um, you know, the social contract, the whole point was we did this with everyone. Everyone had to be in the same boat together and we created the Leviathan. We created the, the social contract so that we had this thing above us and we all agreed to it. And I'm pretty sure, I, you know, thinking in the, the mind of someone from the 1700s, but if we did this in the terms of like you know, Rousseau and Hobbes, I, I don't think they'd really understand why we have that reactionary point because that doesn't line up with how our society is actually built. What makes more sense is for us to look to stem that beforehand and make sure that the that contract continues because if we start to go um you know in, on the reactionary thing go they've snapped therefore they're ostracized they've done this they're ostracized immediately oh they're now they they have a mental health issue therefore they're even more of a divert from society they need to be pushed away they need to be put into the separate part that actually starts to break down things like the social contract and doesn't actually allow for its continuation which it seems insane that, and I, again, use of my language, but it seems it seems insane that we use, you know, we have these viewpoints that if we go back a few hundred years to people that don't understand mental health, let alone anything else, and we just set out what happened, they would be like, well, why aren't you helping those people? Because otherwise, life is brutish and short, which is the points of Hobbes. And it's very strange to think otherwise. Um, and I think it's the idea as well about not being unwell enough to be to be deserving of help and i think that's what some some service users and some members of society will say this as well the idea that you know i have to be really unwell in order to ask for help and then when someone is really unwell and ends up you know unfortunately taking their own life i'm just moving to my charger um, <laughs> ends up taking their own life or something like that they go oh i wish they would have just asked for help but realistically when people do ask for help they don't do anything about it. No. So, and this is what happens a lot of the time with offenders or with people who commit offences, rather. They won't ask for help because they're seen as like, oh, well, it's not, you know, I'm not bad enough to ask for help, so I'll just carry on or I'll self-medicate using substances. And then when they get so unwell that they require the support, it's too late because they've committed an offence because they didn't know what to do or they was under the influence of substances by that point. So... It's the stigma that people think, well, if I reach out now, it's not enough, so I'll wait, and then something ends up happening, and then they go, well, now you're an offender, so now we don't care about you because you're different. If you'd have just told me before this happened, yeah, but if I'd have told you before this happened, if I was having hallucinations and I'd started to use cocaine, you'd have been like, well, just stop using cocaine, or just you know, think your way out of having a delusion, or, you know, something bizarre <laughs> like that. Um, just cheer up but whatever it is yeah. those kind of aspects so it gets 
to the point with some people, I'm not saying it's with everyone, but with some people where they'll self-medicate and then they'll end up committing an offence under the influence or uh, to get more drugs or whatever it is. And then they'll go, oh, well, they're bad people now. We, we help people who actually have mental health issues, not you, because you don't. Yours is different. Um, and these people aren't different. They just have a different way of coping with it or have had a different upbringing, you know? Yeah, and it's... it's... Whatever it is. You're saying about um, people not kind of wanting to get that help and then they get labelled something the other way. The, the thing I find really irritating is when um, you can't ha- you can't want to help someone if you're not a professional, I found, with some um, uh, uh, adult mental health groups. Um, by that, I mean, so I've had some, so those of you who don't know, and this is in the description below, I um, run a mental health um, channel on Twitch. I don't game. I'm just a mental health, nothing else. Um, and I have a little command that tells people I don't fucking know anything, um, just in case anyone's wondering. Um, but I had someone in there who was, in in my opinion, anecdotal and, and kind of reactionary as it was, they seemed like they were going to do something. They looked like they were going to harm themselves. And because of stuff they told me, I had a general idea of where they were in the country. And I also knew because of certain things that they had been in contact with the adult mental health group and certain other things in the past few days. Having worked in admin before, I know that is a two second check just to see. I rang them up and the first question, are you a mental health professional? No, this is what I'm doing. I'm on Twitch, this is it. And this is the information being given. I don't know much more about them because this is an anonymous thing for their safety and for mine. I know these things about them. This is this and this is this. Well, we can't help them. You have to bring the police. The police, right, there's few issues there. One, the police, and, you know, they're not trained for this. You occasionally get one uh, police officer who will have had some extra training or will understand a little bit and they'll be able to do something. But most of them do not understand it. Even if they want to, they don't get it. And also, they won't fucking answer someone who is going, I have some details, because I can't tell them where the person is. But the adult services who they've been in contact with could do a check and go, oh, it's that person. Let's go make sure they're okay. And it is worrying that you don't have that connection. There's no allowance to to bring everyone into the fold. And that seems to be a problem as well. And I think that's where the education comes in as well. Potentially where the people go, oh, my mum knows better because is that we don't seem to bring people into the fold. I think people assume that people with um, degrees and higher degrees so um, me and yourself although you're about to be even more special because you'll have your PhD but um, you know people that have undergraduate degrees master's degrees and things like that we are assumed to be a lot more nowadays as well as some kind of elitism there's a you know there's there's you're you you're up there like this I mean I I wrote um, a book which is going to be published at some point about the ideas of intelligence and it was very strange because I, I basically disagree with the, the idea of it and Somebody read the, the open bit and just went, but I just thought you thought you were smarter than us. And I'm like, at what point have I ever said that? Ever. And they're like, well, you haven't. But I'm like, but what? This, you've created that elitism. And I think that before we get that broken down, um, you know, to actually, we want to hear from all of you. Our research is better if you work with us, our understanding of you is better if we were, if you work with us, your understanding of what we know is better if you work with us. But at the moment we seem to have that separation. And with that, because there's a separation between the elites, there also becomes a separation between that understanding of everything else that the elites work in. And maybe that's part of the, the problem that we have is that people don't want to 
be brought into the fold a lot of the times and they want to be it's it's kind of it's special if they're the one against it you know that was the that was how trump get in trump got in because he was the outsider and people seem to hold that flag very high and it's really strange to me yeah i mean you did absolutely the right thing it's it can go one or two ways can't it there can be people online and you know you'll listen to them as well and they'll say you know mental health advocate i mean anyone can say they're an advocate to be an advocate it just means you want to speak about a subject for a group of people it doesn't I'm a mean facilitator. that's that's yeah. the term i use <laughs> yeah i mean it doesn't it, it's good to say it but some people say it on a whim and they yeah. don't really yeah. know what it means um you should have a basic understanding of the area that you are advocating and not just be interested in the area that's fine um but some people will say that they are an advocate and like you say if you detect something some people will then message that person and make the situation worse and say, you know, I'll take that on for you. I'll support you. I'll do this. If you're not qualified to do it, the correct way to do it is obviously to refer them to somebody else. Everybody, I say this, everybody is qualified to talk about mental health. Hmm. It's, it's an open topic. If you have a brain, you are qualified to discuss mental health. It is a condition for everybody. What you're not qualified to do is start talking about individual things with that person. If they're saying that they're, they've got very complex hallucinations and all this kind of thing that's definitely not for somebody to be taken on. So the right thing to do is to refer them to somebody else. But there is the idea of, I can't talk about it unless this, but also what I will say is don't work outside of your role, whether you are a prison officer who works with people who've offended, um, whether you are a private mental health professional, whether you're a member of the public, if you feel that something doesn't feel right and you, you need to get other support for somebody, get it doesn't mean that like I said at the beginning it doesn't mean like you're accepting defeat or you're a failure or anything it would be a lot worse if you tried to take something on and something happened to that person if you feel like there's something not right there and you need to speak to somebody else whether you say to that person look I'm not qualified in this area I'll chat to you for as long as you want I'll stay up and talk to you you can dm me whenever you want that's fine but I recommend that you go to the Shout website or I recommend you text Samaritans 116123. Whatever it is, you just say something. And if they say, no, I'd rather just talk to you. You've just said it then, haven't you? You've just you've put that out there. Yeah. But don't try and work beyond it because it goes back to what I said at the start. You will emotionally be burnt out if you try to take on every person's issue. Yeah. And this is something that I've had to start saying no to a lot. I used to use my Instagram a lot. I've kind of come away from it now because it's just dead and I don't have the energy for it. I still like connecting with people and I use Twitter a lot on an academic level. But for me, emotionally, I can't be on all of those platforms and doing a full-time job and working in psychiatric services. You can't help everyone and you definitely can't help everyone if you're not helping yourself. Yep. So think about what you can do. What is it? Oh, yeah, that's Make sure, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, just just think about what you can give to other people, but make sure that you're filling your own cup up at the same time, and you're yeah. not always giving out advice to other people constantly. Um, and just yeah. treat people like humans. It's just the the main thing that's, I want to say is that's the breaking down. Yeah, yeah. Just treat yeah. somebody how they how you want them to be. That's something we say in psychiatric services. We treat people with the goal of what we want them to be, how we want them to act, what we want them to do for themselves not for us for themselves and they will become that person with our support we don't treat them how they are or what they've done we're aware of the risk but we don't keep treating them how they were previously because people grow people change and if you keep contributing to that person's care and support you can help them to become something else but if you keep treating them the same 
they're not going to learn. And what I always say to people is, if you get a new dog, I'm not by any means comparing people to dogs, but if you get a dog and you don't treat the dog to, you don't teach it to, you know, go outside for a wee and da 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 and teach it to eat what meal times are, you just leave food out all the time, let it do whatever it wants, and then shout at it and say, you're bad. You keep doing this, you keep doing that. It's going to say, well, what? what do you want me to do? Mm. I don't know what you want me to do. It's not going to say that because dogs don't speak, but it's going to be really confused. Whereas if you train it, you put your energy into that, you put your effort into that, you look after it, you will get something back. Mm. So just think about what you get back from the work that you do and how you can improve people's lives. It could literally be the smallest of things, but just think about that going forward and, and what you want to do if you want to work in this area particularly think about challenging your own stigma every day and you can grow whilst you're helping other people to grow as well. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the doing the same thing over and over again and um, assuming a different um, outcome. Um, it's, it's that, and you're absolutely right with, um, especially I think it's why a lot of Twitch streamers um, uh, that are mental health advocates also game. I, 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 this is why I think they do it is because they can't, I, I only, I only stream um, two days a week because I can't, physically do it anymore but the people that do seem to do it more game as well because i think it's a distraction for them which is what you need um but uh on that by the way below as well as ev- the other details everything else there will be a link to my website and specifically the resources page if you go on there if you're in the uk there is a full page of all the resources addiction um alcohol abuse whatever it is it, it should be on there or at least a trusted website of some kind should be on there at the top there is also emergency numbers such as um the samaritans which um, samantha said um and they're all they're all on there uh, if you're outside of the uk at the very top there is a thing that says worldwide if you click on that it will take you to another website where you can find um your country and then they are listed in the same way to find your country and then individual ones so you'll be able to find something on this that is below so if you're worried about that in any way there are resources below um and it is important if you're talking to someone through twitch twitter instagram whatever it is do remember that that person um as you know i say with the light samantha says with the cup people talk about spoons whichever analogy you want to use they have to look after themselves as well so if you're you know if you need to to talk to someone there are trained professionals for a reason um we can talk the same as you can talk to your friends in some kind of peer group but there are professionals for a reason um was there anything else you wanted to add because i know that i've kind of i I, and i know i'm well aware i talk over people i don't intend to but um is you know is there anything you wanted to kind of add on that you you hoped we were going to get onto that we didn't or anything like that to kind of finish it off no i think we covered it well we didn't definitely didn't cover everything Um, but yeah we covered a lot i think i just i mainly just wanted to talk about obviously making people more aware that just because you have an offending history doesn't mean that you're any less um, deserving of mental health support or deserving of a life. Mm. And I just think the more people that humanise individuals who've committed offences for a number of reasons, um, like I said at the start, the, what forensic psychology is, is looking at like underpinning why people do what they do in terms of offending, how they get into the criminal justice system. So there's a number of reasons and we shouldn't just tar everyone with the same brush whether that's to do with their offending whether it's to do with their mental health ask people how you can support them and make an individualized plan for them um and there's there's probably some people here who are listening who i've taught and um, if some of my students are listening if any of the master students are listening we have some master students who are prison officers they're doing brilliant things working with um, individuals in prison at the minute. Lots of innovative ideas of how to reconnect them with society and get them to think about their value as people 
as they come down through the system and be rehabilitated. So just treat people as humans. That's that's the main point of any discussion concerning anything like this, regardless of what they've done. We do need to be aware of some people's risk. That's, you know, that's inevitable. But just treat them as a human unless they've given you a reason otherwise to, to kind of disprove that personally. Don't use a generic marker, like we said before, of the idea of schizophrenia being a negative overall and if anyone does want to learn more um i think like adam said before he's going to put the link to the research article but also feel free to send me a message um on twitter i'm sure all the links will be below um and thank you so much for your time adam and for for doing this no problem at all so um like um samantha just said and i've just said again uh links for samantha's twitter um, for my Twitter and Twitch for Samantha's um, paper will be below as well as the resources uh, website as well. So if you have any issues, so please do um, click on there. You should be able to find something. Um, something somewhere will be there. If not, Google is a free service. Please do reach out to somewhere if you need to. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure at this point who we've got on next week, but I hope you've, been, uh, you've enjoyed this and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.